welcome you, uh, our online community. But I think being here today is a good thing. I think being in the house of the Lord today is a good thing. It's way better than being in any return line at the finest department store in America. Can I get an amen to that? All right. Some of you are probably going to do that this afternoon, but I'm glad you came here first. Today, instead of unwrapping something, we are wrapping something up. This is our last sermon in our series, Ugly Christmas Sweater, as I already said. And so far, we've already wrestled with ways that we can uh, be uh, ugly. We can be ugly with our thoughts. We can be ugly with our words. We can be ugly with our motives. Today, we're going to look at just flat out ugly with our actions that we sometimes choose. And during all seasons, it is good for us to be mindful of our actions. But at Christmas time, I think that um, the world is watching Christians even more. Would you agree with me on that? At Easter and at Christmas, uh, the world is just watching the church even, even more. And so we've got to make sure that we are making a conscious decision to live out our faith in front of other people because that's one way that we can give to God. That's one way that we can bless God um, is, is by our actions. And that's one way that we can thank God for sending Jesus to earth to, to, to die for us, to live out our actions, not just through Christmas and Easter, but through every day of the year. And so we have this ability to live like Jesus, but often we have a tendency to live like an ugly Christmas sweater. And I don't know why it happens this way, but I believe that it's true. It's at Christmas time that we often see, all at one time, we see the, the very best in people and we see the very worst in people at the same time. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, that, that sometimes at Christmas, man, people just shine, uh, just brighter than the Christmas lights. And then sometimes there are people at Christmas time that you just don't even want to be around them all that much. And so uh, we celebrate the birth of our Savior uh, at Christmas, obviously. And what we do sometimes is we might even, man, we might even sing Silent Night in a dimly lit room and we're lifting our voices, maybe even raising our hands and singing Silent Night. And then the next day we go out and, and we're knocking people out of the way to get to that latest iPhone, right? Um, some of us have done something like that. And then we, we argue over all kinds of things. It might not even be in, in retail. It might not even be in shopping or anything like that. But we just... We argue with one another. We treat people we love the most, the worst sometimes. And we don't do it on purpose, but um, we, we, we sometimes just we act like ugly Christmas sweaters. You know? um, how can these two extremes all happen at once? How can we go from praising the Lord? Now, I don't know how many of you were here for Christmas Eve, but it was one of my favorite Christmas Eve services that we've ever had. I thought it was fantastic. I think we should praise the Lord for that. And, Pat Spencer on the back for, for what uh, he came up with for us for that night. But uh, we, we, we come on Christmas Eve and, and, and we worship the Lord and we have an incredible time of raising our hands maybe and even worshiping our Savior. But then maybe yesterday when we got together with our family, we, we weren't exactly what we were up here or, or out there. How can these two extremes happen? Well, the Bible tells us there are two natures that are constantly warring with one another. One nature inspires us to love people around us. One nature inspires us to act in humility, be humble. But the other nature causes us to look out for ourselves first, even at the expense 
of pushing other people down. And so this battle begins when we're very young. It begins at a very early age. And it doesn't get any easier as we get older. We still want things the way we want them. We still have these selfish desires within us even as we grow older. At the point in our lives where we should be growing out of wanting to put ourselves first, sometimes we even get worse. I know I struggle with that sometimes. But by the grace of God, and the Holy Spirit living inside of us, I think each of us, no matter what our age is, we can grow to treat others the way that God would want us to treat them, even the way that God would treat them. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. The book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae, and, and the, 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 the Colossians are a lot like you and I are, right? They're a group of people they're trying to figure it all out. They're trying to figure out what it looked like to love people well in the light of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And somehow, in some way, the sacrifice of Jesus should have a profound impact on them and it should have a profound impact on us as followers of Jesus. But sometimes throughout our day, we don't let the impact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection have that much of an impact on us. If it did, we wouldn't act ugly. Amen? And it's not that we intend to make this, uh, uh, you know, this shift from ugliness to, uh, to beauty automatically. It's something that takes a little bit of time. And so we have to work at allowing our ugly actions to become beautiful actions through the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives every single day. And so in this time of, of hustle and bustle where we're running around like a bunch of chickens with our heads cut off, I think it's, it's more important for us to slow down. Now, it's a little late now because Christmas is over, but tuck this away and put it out there for next year. But instead of running around all crazy, we should slow down and reflect on the reality of Christ's birth and the reality of the fact that he's coming back someday. And we need to allow these these truths to change us from the inside out, to move us to become individuals who love one another well. This season reminds us of a few important things that I want to share with you. Here's the first one. People do crazy things in the name of Christmas. Can I get an amen to that, right? You know, you ever notice that some people get a little crazy with their decorations? Anybody ever seen that yet? Look at this picture, right? Okay, now I want to take a little quiz. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I, some decorations are great. How many of you think this is great? <laughs> How many of you think this is gaudy, right? Okay, very good. All right, let's, let's show the, this, this next one. How many of you think this is great? How many of you think this is creepy? Right? I, I mean, these snowmen, it's just, ugh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, if it's not beautiful, it's, it's even beyond gaudy, it's creepy. Uh, and, and if you want to decorate the outside of your house and go a little crazy, that's up to you. But leave the inside alone. Don't go crazy on the inside. Look at this one. Can you see that one very well? How many of you think this is gaudy? Raise your hand if you think this is gaudy. How many of you think this is beautiful and you'd like to see it in your house? How many of you who just said you think this is beautiful and like to see it in your house would like professional help? All right, go ahead. We can provide that. All right. Here's the deal. Some people do some crazy stuff at Christmas, right? We don't intend to, 
but we do some crazy stuff. We don't act like we ought to, to act. I read some, uh, some things this week in preparation for the sermon about some crazy things that people do around Christmas, and I don't get it. The week leading up to Christmas, Venezuelans attend a daily church service called the Misa de Aguinaldo. I think that's how you pronounce it. Early morning mass is what it means. In the capital of Caracas, Venezuela, it's customary to travel to church. Uh, let, let me... Let me warn you, you're probably not going to want to do this. Travel to church on roller skates. How many's up for that? Right? That's what they do. And so many people, they get up early to go to church that week leading up to Christmas, uh, and they travel on roller skates. They shut down the streets of the city until about 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning to allow churchgoers to go to church on roller skates. Right? All of a sudden, knocking that wall out back there isn't such a big deal. All right, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Next time you find yourself complaining about fruitcake, okay, think about this for a moment. There's, there's a tradition in Greenland. Each Christmas, okay, they tuck raw whale skin and raw blubber and something called kiviak. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. Kiviak is made by wrapping a small Arctic bird in seal skin. And they combine this with the whale skin and the whale blubber. They bury it in the ground for several months, and then they eat it. All of a sudden, Aunt Edna's gelatin filled with cat food isn't all that big a deal, right? Um, I don't know. That's disgusting. Those are crazy traditions that somehow got started in other countries. But we do things crazier than that. I mean, not gross and disgusting, but maybe it is to some people. We do things crazier than that when we lift our hands in praise to Jesus and then we treat other people like we treat them sometimes. And, and there's something about this time of year that just causes people to reorient their lives around the holidays. And normally, rational human beings... You know, they, they will cover their homes in lights, and they'll buy too many gifts, and, and, and they'll get into all kinds of other Christmas craziness. They'll allow their schedules to be changed. They allow their attitudes to be changed. They allow their budgets to be changed because it's Christmas. And Paul is writing to the Colossians, and he's making a plea for the followers of God to reorient their lives not around those things that I just talked about, but to reorient our lives around the birth of Christ and what it means to us to have Jesus in our lives because he's our Savior. He's encouraging us to be willing to change things a little bit, reorient our lives, maybe act in a little bit of a unique way and a countercultural way because of the birth of our Savior, because of the love of God. And Paul is very persuasive in telling his audience that there can't be any more excuses for living like, like uh, we live on our own. There, there can't be any more excuses for refusing to live our lives God's way. Stop making excuses, he says. He expects it. God expects us to live counterculturally. He expects us to live uniquely because of the birth of our Savior. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. This is what Paul says to the church. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And after this long discussion of the church, we're going to look a little bit more into that a little bit later on, 
Paul shares his final thoughts with his readers there in that 17th verse. He says, whatever we do in life, whether in word or deed, it needs to be done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think back over the last month of your life. All of it. How much of your actions, how many of your actions, how many of our lives, how much of our lives were lived in the name of Jesus? If we were to take a survey of our own lives and write down a percentage, what do you think your percentage would be that you lived out your life in the name of Jesus? How are you doing with that? What percentage of your deeds, what percentage of your words were centered around Christ? And what percentage of it was centered around me? What percentage of our actions didn't look like Jesus? What percentage did? Paul is telling us to make sure that our actions reflect the fact that we're grateful for God's grace in our lives. If our actions are not reflecting the fact that we're thankful for God's grace, then we we need to do something. When we give thanks for everything that God has given us, then we are more ready to treat others the way that God would treat us. We're more ready to treat others more lovingly and more respectfully, all in the name of Jesus. Right? And, and it takes effort. This isn't something that just happens overnight. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't pretend to know everybody here, but you... Ladies, how many of you, you're ever getting ready for something like you're going out, maybe you're getting ready for church or you got something going on, and, and you put an outfit on and you don't really like it all that much, and so you take it off and you lay it on the bed and you get a different outfit and you try it on and you look in the mirror and you really don't like that all that much, and so you take it off and you get another outfit. You go through this four or five times. Anybody here? I'm not saying that I've ever witnessed this. I'm just saying that, that I've, I've heard that this is possible, right? You do this, right? You choose what you're going to wear. And just as intently as you pick out an outfit to go to church or a party or something great, God is saying, listen, you clothe yourselves intently, right? You do it on purpose. So here's what Paul is saying. You get to pick out your sweater. Yes, I picked this out, <laughs> right? But you get to pick out you, what you wear spiritually Speaking, right? And when you were a kid, you didn't get to pick out your own outfit. Mom and dad always dressed you. Usually mom, I'm going to guess, right? You, got, you didn't pick them out. Sometimes you did. When you did, it didn't turn out all that great. I remember Christmas when I was about four or five. I got a new cowboy hat. I got a vest. I got a bandana. got a double holster set. That was back before people went crazy over five-year-olds playing with guns, but that's a whole other sermon. I was excited to get this cowboy set for Christmas, I put it on right over what I already had, right on top of my animals, right? I have a picture here, actually, uh, if you want to see. Uh, there we go, all right? Uh, and you like those red jeans? That's me at about four or five years old, Christmas in Brazil. Actually, it was in Carbon. We didn't even live in Brazil yet. And uh, my red jeans, man, those were, those were smoking. Those were cool. And uh, matched my red bandana. You know, I put it on right over the top. And it didn't look great, but as a kid, you kind of get by with it, right? Everybody says, oh, look at a kid. He's just not mature yet, and he's got this crazy outfit on, right? But when we go around acting spiritually like kids, Paul is saying you need to do better. You need to dress yourselves better than what you're doing. 
Because sometimes what we put on doesn't really work. Look at what Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the Greek word for clothe there or for put on is enduo. And enduo literally means to sink into a garment or to cover yourself. And this is an active word that Paul is using. He says something that's going on. It's not something that you do every once in a while. It's something that should be going on all the time. It's like the fruit of the Spirit, right? He said this should be a natural byproduct of who you are. And in order for us to love people well and not act like an ugly Christmas sweater, we must intentionally every day choose to put on new and better kinds of action. And the kind of intention it takes to pick out a great Christmas service suit or a good family Christmas pajama set, it's the same kind of intention that it takes for us to say, I'm going to live for you today, Jesus. You don't just wake up every single day and automatically become beautiful in your actions. It's a choice that you you have to make. You don't naturally just act good and avoid ugly actions. It takes some effort. We make the decision every day how we're going to treat others. You say, well, you know what, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. You can't just say, well, that's just the way I'm wired. Well, rewire yourself like we talked about a few weeks ago. How we treat people is important. How we treat our spouses, how we treat our children, how we treat our friends, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul lists what kinds of actions the Spirit requires of us. First, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. This is the ability to see a situation from someone else's vantage point, to feel what someone else is feeling. Compassion is what leads people to serve others. It is what leads people to give sacrificially. Compassion is the key to a broken world. I'm convinced. We could boil it all down to that. Compassion. This is what's going to change the world. It's not laws. It's not marches. It's compassion. It's the key. And compassion takes a selfless attitude and it results in people actually listening to one another, saying, I care about you enough. I'm going to listen to what you're saying. I'm going to look beyond maybe some of our differences and really listen to what's being said. And then Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with kindness. Kindness, it sounds like a a simple word, an easy word, but it's much harder to actually live out, right? I think everybody would say, yeah, we need to be kinder. I'm going to try to be kinder. But but when it really comes to the rubber meeting the road, it's difficult for us sometimes. Kindness is what happens when we're always looking for practical ways to serve somebody else, right? Maybe it's mowing a neighbor's yard. You could probably do that today, actually, (laughs) the day after Christmas. Mow some grass. Right? Buy groceries for a family that's under a financial strain. Maybe just write a letter to someone because you feel like you want to lift their spirit. Kindness is saying the right thing at the right time or a 
is taking action when you know that the action that you're going to take is, is going to make a difference in someone's life. That's what kindness is. And then Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Okay? It's taking on the kind of mentality that Jesus not only taught us, but he modeled it for us. Selfishness is ugly. Would you agree with me that being selfish is an ugly thing? Right? It's ugly. It's the basis of all of our sinful action. We've had this conversation around here a few times that, that James says, what is it that causes quarrels and fights among you? It's selfishness. We want what we want. Selfishness is ugly. Humility, then, is the way in which sin is overcome in the way that Jesus made uh, a reality for us to overcome it. He's, he's basically saying, listen, you, you, put, you put yourself out of the way, you put me first, you put others first, and you're going to be able to overcome this ugliness in your lives sometimes. And then Paul says, treat people with gentleness, put on gentleness. This word comes from uh, the Greek word that basically means strength under control. Sometimes it's translated as meekness. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. You have the ability to respond in a way that maybe isn't all that great, but you choose not to, right? And this power comes from the Spirit of God living inside of us. It helps us to control our other impulses that are not all that great. And so what happens is our action in gentleness are expressed through service to the weak, service to the powerless, those who, who really don't have any way to help themselves. We like to say, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. You know that's not there? And if God has blessed you in a way or has put you in a position of power to help somebody else out, even if they're not helping themselves, you need to really strongly pray about how you can help. And, and it could be that maybe in a, in a particular case, you don't feel led to help. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But there are some times when we just kind of brush people off and say, well, they're just not doing anything to help themselves, so I'm not going to help them. Man, I'm thankful God didn't look at us and say, well, you know, you can't, they can't help themselves in their sin, so I'm just... They're not even trying. I'm just going to let them go. And then Paul says to clothe ourselves with patience. This is tough sometimes. This word can be translated as long-suffering. It means to put up with something for a long time before getting angry or before giving up on it. Clothing yourselves in patience allows you to love people who are hard to love. Anybody have somebody in your life that's hard to love? You don't have to raise your hand. Especially if you're sitting with them. Don't do that. Okay, good. Patience tells us to serve people who are hard to serve. Patience is the key to becoming someone who looks like Jesus. Because spiritual maturity does not happen overnight. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just be dunked in the baptistry and come out of the water as just this fully grown, mature Christian person who did everything right. 
That's not the way it works. We, we become babies at that point. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit and through his word, we grow to, to maturity. And none of these actions that I've talked about, none of them come to us naturally. We've got to choose to put them on. We have to choose to clothe ourselves in them. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, follow along with me. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Stop there for a second. Let that sink in. Just as the Lord forgave you. Do you realize how much God has forgiven you of? So you should also forgive someone who I'm going to guess hasn't done near as much against you as we've done against God, but God chose to forgive us. And then he says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That actually should be in your outline as well. Write that down below there. Love, that's the last thing he tells us to put on. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Any of you ever had an ugly Christmas sweater that you loved? Maybe that you, you know, you, you, before we ever did this series, you, you had that sweater and you wore it to all the parties because everybody talked about your sweater. You just absolutely loved it. It was actually even kind of comfortable, kept you warm. You just loved it. All the gatherings that you went to, everybody just just loved it, and you loved it, and then, I mean, it, it wasn't as ugly as Kendall's purple sweater this morning. Did y'all notice Kendall had a purple sweater on this morning? I don't know if you knew that or not, but I think that's, that's awesome. Uh, but anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know, Kendall hates the color purple. All right, I just thought I'd stick that out there, and, and I think you look nice, Kendall. It looks very nice. But anyway, you get a snag in that sweater, that sweater that you love so much, Right? You snag a thread in it, and that thread starts to stick out, and you feel like you got to do something about that thread that's sticking out, and so you try to pull on it, and then you realize that as you pull on it, it's connected, and if you keep pulling on it, you're going to unravel the whole sweater, right? And so you think, okay, I either need to snip it, I need to tie it up, whatever the case may be, you know, but if I keep pulling on it, then the whole sweater is just going to become unraveled. And this is a dangerous moment for you. And you don't know what to do because you realize that it's all connected. Every thread is a part of another thread. That's the same thing that's true for us as Christians. All of the things that Paul says you need to be doing here, these things that you need to put on, the common thread is love. He says above all else, Clothe yourselves in love. This action, loving one another, is what gives life to every other single one of these things that we talked about. Compassion, kindness, humility, uh, humility gentleness, patience. All of those are tied together by love. And we're about, oh, love. Yeah, I love those guys in the balcony. They are awesome. They do a great work. They do do a great work. But love requires action, right? We talk about love a lot, but it requires action. If you say you love someone, but you never demonstrate that love to someone, what good is it? And in order for us to really love others, we have to put love into action. As the uh, great theologians DC Talk used to say, love is a verb, right? Love's a verb. 
it moves us to do something. If we truly love someone, it starts with, with Jesus. Loving people like Jesus. The Greek word that Paul uses here is a word that we throw around a lot at Valentine's Day. It's agape. We, 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 we have a tendency to use that in weddings and at Valentine's Day, things like that. And it means a sacrificial kind of love. And it's a love that's going to cost us something, right? So here's the question. Are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to put ourselves out there and pay the cost and live a life of love? And we can't just say we love people. We have to show people we love. We can't sit back and say, hey, we love this community as a church. But we don't do anything about it. And if we're going to live with love, not only this Christmas season, but each day of our lives, it's got to start with God's love. It's got to start with the realization that God loved us so much that he was willing to send his one and only son. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. His only begotten Son. And whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world. Some translations say to condemn the world. But that the world might be saved through Him. You see, God, His actions were motivated by love. His love prompted Him to send Jesus Jesus' love for us is what prompted him to leave heaven to come down here to be willing to be born as a baby and put on human flesh in the first place. And he did it not to condemn the world, so we shouldn't do that either. But the God of the universe came not to condemn but to save. Who are we to condemn other people? God has got us on a rescue mission. He says that the world might be saved through him. Well, Jesus has done his part. He's left the rest of it to us. And so our job is to not condemn the world, but to love them. It doesn't mean we approve of everything that they do. That doesn't mean that we just turn a blind eye to sin and say, oh, go do whatever you want to do. But we love people. And we let God's word be the, the conviction whatever sin might be in their life. Look at what 1 John 4 says, beginning in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a big old fancy church word that basically means that satisfied the sacrifice that needed to be satisfied. God accepted that sacrifice on, on our behalf. His son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We have an incredible opportunity 
to love the people around us. And in loving others, we make God evident in this world. I'm telling you right now, Christmas trees ain't going to do it. Lights ain't going to do it. Ugly sweaters ain't going to do it. What's going to convince the world that God loves them is how we act and how we love them. In fact, Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples, you have love for one another. So the mark of a Christian is someone who's dedicated to embracing God's amazing love for us and then allowing that love to overflow. And maybe you've never embraced that love. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to do that today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. We're going to offer a song of decision. And if you're here today and you want to confess Jesus as the Christ, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized into him for the washing away of your sins. If you need to do something like that today, now's the time to do it during this song of decision. We encourage you to come. Maybe you're watching online. Would you text the word ready to us at our church connection number if you have a decision you need to make? For those of you who've already made that decision, let me remind you again that love is action. And you might think that Christmas is over, and it is. The holiday is, right? But for the believer, the spirit of Christmas should never be over. We should every day put on compassion and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience in the way that we treat people. Maybe it's a complete stranger that you need to show love to. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Whatever it is that God might be convicting you of this 